This is The Faithful Expositor, a podcast from the preaching and teaching ministry of Pastor Jonathan Sims of Shepherdville Mills Baptist Church. Well, welcome back to another episode of The Faithful Expositor podcast. This is your host, uh, Ryan Tillman of Shelbyville Mills Baptist Church. It's a blessing to be back with you all, uh, and even more of a blessing to be back uh, with our senior pastor here at Shelbyville Mills, Brother Jono Sims, uh, coming off a, a week of, of hunting. Brother Jono, how was that week up in Illinois? It was wonderful. Uh, my son and I, Nathan, we got to spend the whole week together and just had great fellowship and just enjoyed being together. We both harvested deer. I took a pretty nice buck and a doe, and Nathan took a big doe, and so we brought three home, and probably the most intense uh, rutting activity that I've been a part of in year, just deer chasing and a lot of rut activity going on. Uh, just every every hunt we went out saw multiple deer. One hunt I was on, I saw over 40. <laughs> wow. And um, <clears throat> it, I would say without exception, every hunt we went on, we could have killed a deer. You know, we had them in range, and which for us is archery only. So just a great week of, of fellowship, and <clears throat> Nathan was here for worship yesterday, and uh, that was just so encouraging to have him here and the whole family here yesterday, and just a blessed time of the year. And then got to go home and celebrate Nate's birthday. That's right. We did. Sure did. He turned 29, and um, we've always enjoyed hunting together, always enjoyed being outdoors together, and I think he loves it as much as I do. Amen. Well, we're going to define a few things in our, our episode today, but start it off with a, a softball for you because some of our listeners uh, may not know what rut activity would be. So can you explain to us what that is? Well, every year it's different where you live, you know, geographically in the country, but kind of the southeastern, especially we, where we were, southern Illinois, uh, around Thanksgiving-ish week before, um, the does are in heat, and so they're ready to breed, and the bucks are out looking for does, and uh, it can be pretty intense with bucks chasing does and fighting. Um, they make uh, scrapes in the ground to mark their territory. They rub trees, and so you're looking for sign. You're you're trying to be strategic in where you set your stand location, and we just seem to hit it right every time this year. Now, I've had many years where I've struck out all the way around, but mm. this year every stand set up that we picked was just a home run. And um, so it's a time unlike any other time of the year when bucks that normally wouldn't make some of the foolish choices they make uh, step out and put themselves into danger. And sometimes that's the only time you can kill one of those big bucks. Mm-hmm. And I've always likened it to Proverbs chapter 7 and that, young man that goes after that harlotous woman and a dart strikes through his liver, you know. Yeah. <laughs> he he foolishly <laughs> makes a lot of wrong choices. And these big, smart bucks in the rut, they make some very unwise choices and expose themselves, and we try to be there waiting on them. So as a hunter, you're very thankful for the rut. Very thankful. It's well, an exciting time. Amen. Well, that's what we wanted to dedicate this episode to was just to talk about thanks and thanksgiving. Um, very appropriate for this week that's upon us uh, with Thanksgiving being on Thursday, but also 
um, what you preached yesterday, Brother Jonah. So just start us off by defining thanks and thanksgiving from a biblical vantage point. Well, I know we'll unpack it a little bit further when we talk about my text yesterday, which was Philippians 1, 1 through 8, where Paul said to that church, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. And as Paul uses it in that text, it's actually the Greek word eucharistio. We get the word eucharist from that word. And it means to be grateful for someone. Uh, It means to express gratitude to them. And Paul's case here, And this is the highest form of thanks is when we give thanks to God. And it also means, and I said in my message yesterday, that I think feelings have gotten a bad rap. Now, I know there are some people that are so feelings-oriented, they're imbalanced. Mm. But when you run the word studies on this word, Eucharistio, it means to feel thankful. It's, It's a... And Paul mentions in this text a lot about the heart, and I yearn for you, and there's a longing in my heart for you. And those are emotions. Those are passions. Those are feelings. There was, a, there was a, an emotion. There was a feeling of thankfulness in the apostle's heart. Every time he remembered the church at Philippi, it caused his heart and his soul to spring forth in in. in reflexive almost thanksgiving to God. And so it's just a, an inner sense of gratitude, an inner sense of thankfulness and appreciation to God for who he is mm. and for what he has done and also for people that we appreciate and love and that are we're thankful that they're in our lives. Mm-hmm. Do you say mm-hmm. that's foundational to being a, a child of God, a, a chosen uh, person of God, I wish it was in Galatians chapter five. I'm just, I'm just being honest with you. I, I wish that it were one that I could stand here and say it's one of the fruits of the spirit. Mm-hmm. But I will say this seriously: um, the longer I walk with Christ, and the more I am a student of Christ, and the more I study the Scriptures, and the more I experience personal sanctification, I would go on record as saying that I believe thankfulness to be one of the chief characteristics of a genuine Christian. Um, I believe when we're regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit, God creates a thankful person. Mm. And, you know, I was thinking about that in my introduction yesterday morning, just as an example of what I'm talking about. And this ought to be vivid in all of the minds of people at Shelbyville Mills because we just experienced the Lord's Supper. But when you turn to 1 Corinthians 11, which is almost always our go-to text, it says Jesus the same night in which he was betrayed. And, of course, that betrayal was Judas Iscariot had already sold Jesus out to the religious leaders for 30 pieces of silver, the price of a slave. So here's one of Christ's own disciples who has betrayed him. Jesus is breaking bread, which just screams out Mm. that in just moments your very body will be broken and brutally beaten and hung upon a Roman cross. And having been betrayed and in just moments about to be brutally beaten and broken, Jesus pauses and gives thanks. Mm. It's just the essence of our Master. It's the essence of our Lord and our Savior. Jesus Christ was a thankful man 
and he expressed that thanks to God regularly. Mm. And I think Jesus Christ, Brother Ryan, personally exemplifies what Paul taught to the church at Thessalonica when he said in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. And everybody wants to know what's God's will for my life. He just told you, give thanks in everything. And I understand we mature and grow in Mm. that, but there should be a developing thankfulness in us that's able to thank God for what we would deem good Mm -hmm. as well as what we might deem not so good or even painful. And even in Jesus, you talk about those emotions. I mean, just go a few hours past the Lord's Supper, the the Passover meal that they um, celebrated, uh, and Jesus is in the garden. And the anguish, the the desperation, I mean, to the point of sweating drops of blood, um, if he's emotionally distressed there, He's emotionally giving thanks in that prayer. Yes, Um, that's right. Can't separate them. No, you can't. And Christ's entire will was caught up in and yielded and surrendered into and engulfed in the will of the Heavenly Father. Mm. So understanding something of the providence of the Father and the sovereignty, the absolute sovereignty of the Father— Jesus teaches us that anything that comes to our lives is sifted through the hand of providence so we can be thankful yeah. for it. Jesus earnestly prayed, Luke twenty two forty four that you've just referenced, sweating those great drops of blood, that is there not another way? Hmm. And yet he said, Lord, not my will but thine be done. There's a thankfulness and a gratitude even in that, yeah. in yieldedness yeah. and in surrender. Jesus was surrendered to the will of the Father, and that enabled him to have a thankful heart in all circumstances. Mm-hmm. And you, we talked about it uh, a little bit before coming over. Um, Brother Tyler brought it up. You've always just taught us to be unthankful is to be unholy. Yep. I think it goes right along with um, you know, what you were just saying as far as thankfulness is a— Maybe not a fruit of the Spirit per Galatians 5, but definitely something evident in the life of someone who's truly been born again. No doubt about it. And, of course, you're referencing Paul's discussion with the pastor at Ephesus, young Timothy. And he comes to uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, and he begins to unpack what the last days are going to look like and how perilous and awful they're going to be. He says men will be lovers of their own selves. Well, we see that. Mm -hmm. Um, Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient disobedient to parents. And then he he, here's a couplet of words, unthankful, comma, unholy. Mm. And this grows out of my parenting with my five children. I would always say to them when I would see unthankfulness, to be unthankful is to be unholy. And I've repeated that to you guys over and over and over again. As a matter of fact, I would say this, unthankfulness is the root of unholiness. Mm. Because when you're unthankful, you get an an entitlement mindset, which is just killing our country right now. You think people owe you something. You deserve something. Mm -hmm. You didn't get something you should have gotten. Or how about this? Somebody got something 
you should, you wanted, yeah. you know, which is the root of covetousness. It's why it's forbidden in the Ten Commandments. So really, when you're unthankful, there is an unholiness about you that is pride and self-absorption that is just so widespread in our country right now. Uh, we need to turn back from mm-hmm. that. <clears throat> Amen. What What would you say are some examples of Thanksgiving? I mean, before getting, we'll dive into your message uh, here uh, in just a moment, but uh, there was plenty of them riddled throughout your message, but um, outside of you know what you preach to us Sunday morning, what would be some examples? You know, I, I started out with Jesus and being betrayed and his body about to be broken, and he still gives thanks. I think Jesus is the premier example. I think of Philippians 2, 5 through 11, that great kenosis passage. Mm-hmm. Here is the very God of very God in the form of Jesus Christ. And it says he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And listen to this. He counted it all joy. He counted the cross a joy. That joy, Kara, that's that rejoicing, that thanksgiving, that humble spirit. Mm -hmm. Jesus was willing to humble himself and become obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And he did it with great joy. He, he despised the shame, enduring the grief, counting it a joy. And so I think Christ, brother, is our chief example of how to, in everything, give thanks. Yeah, amen. Looking at <clears throat> our message from, from Sunday, what kind of led you to um, preach what you preached? And, and you took Paul's example from Philippians 1, 1 through 8, and his thankfulness for the church and the saints at Philippi uh, and expressed your thanks for the saints at Shelbyville Mills. What kind of led you there? If Paul were alive today, I think he would say, obviously, I know that the church at Philippi is not perfect. That's not even what's on the table here. But I think Paul, because this is what he did, would say to you and to me, however, Every time I think about the church at Philippi, it causes me to give thanks to God. And it's because he had a very special relationship with them. They had given to his needs once and again. So it's believed that when Paul wrote this letter to them, they had probably already given him three monetary gifts. You know, he was in, this is one of those prison epistles. He's in jail and a prisoner wouldn't have any needs met if someone didn't help meet those needs um their judiciary didn't you know their 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 jail system wasn't backed up by you know taxes Mm. (laughs) if somebody didn't step in and and uh give you water and bread and clothing you had none and so again and again time and again philippi had ministered to paul's needs and in many other ways as well and when paul he says when you come to my remembrance i i give thanks unto god and that's my personal experience with Shelbyville Mills. Look, I know Shelbyville Mills is not a perfect church. We know that. Again, that's not even what's on the table here. But I can honestly tell you, this is the truth before our Lord, that when I remember, when Shelbyville Mills Baptist Church comes to my remembrance, it causes me to give thanks to God. And I just allowed the text, brother, Hmm. to guide me 
through different things for which I thank God for this church. And I found that most of the ones that Paul mentions here about Philippi are equally true in some degree of Shelbyville Mills Baptist Church. And so I just let the text guide me. And yesterday was just a it was just me from my heart as their pastor giving thanks to God on their behalf, mm. which, if I could at this point say, I believe is the highest form of thanks. And here's what I mean by that. When the way you live your life causes me to give thanks to God, I can't think of anything that glorifies God anymore. Mm. I believe that's the highest form of thanks. The way the church at Philippi lived, the way they functioned, the way they operated. And Paul dealt with some churches like Corinth, for example, that would not have stimulated thanks as much. Mm-hmm. But when Paul thought of Philippi, it caused him to go to his heavenly father and offer up thanks. How wonderful to stop this morning and ponder for just a second. Do I live my life in such a way? Does Tyler, he's here with us this morning. Do you, does Joshua, do do the people that are living, the way they live their lives, does it cause other people to go to God and give thanks? Mm-hmm. Man, that's what we should strive for mm-hmm. as an individual and as a church. At this time of the year, we all think about giving thanks to God, and rightly so. Yep. But stop this evening to consider, is your life causing other people to be thankful to God? That is the highest form of thanks, and that's what Philippi was engaged in. Hmm. Why would you say that for our pastors that are listening, uh, mm-hmm. preaching a message like this, and you know, you go through the text, and so many will uh, do lost slaves, you know, Paul, and just systematically break it down and not do misjustice or anything to the text, but kind of miss that theme of what Paul's really doing here in the in the outset. Why is it important for you as our senior pastor and, and even myself and and Tyler, who, yes, is here with us in the studio uh, today. Um, y'all pray for him as you're listening. He's, he's suffering from a little bit of a football ankle injury, but um, why yeah, is it? We, we've been giving him grief about it all day long, too, bro. <laughs> Trying to help him, but he's <laughs> yeah. just not listening. Exactly. Um, why... Why is it important for you as our pastor to to model that in front of us? So many pastors call me, and it's heartbreaking. It's just heartbreaking, and my heart goes out to them to this past week. And their churches are causing them grief. Their churches are causing them stress. Their churches are causing them anguish. And when I, it's hard for them to be thankful, even though the Bible says in everything give thanks. And, you know, the world has seen way too much of that. Mm. The world should see that we're disciples by our love, Jesus said. But I fear that sometimes they say, behold, how they fight and scratch and claw each other instead mm. of how they love each other. And so when the church is dysfunctional like that and the church is unhealthy, it's a horrible, horrible witness to the lost community around us. The The, the world should see genuine Christian love, the church should be exhibit A of that. But oftentimes, it's the opposite of that. Mm -hmm. And so it's so important that our churches model the heart and the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ and stimulate thanksgiving to God, not, Mm -hmm. not anguish. You know, 
I brought this out from Hebrews chapter 13 when the writer of Hebrews gives chapter 7, uh, 13, verse 7, 13, 17, and 13, 24 all deal with your responsibility toward your rulers, your overseers, your pastors. And one of those says, uh, let them do their job with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. The church doesn't understand that when their pastor is having to do his job with grief, it steals away the energies Mm -hmm. that could be used positively for the church, and it ends up hurting the church. And that's one of the things I'm thankful for is that Shelbyville Mills lets me do my ministry with joy and not with grief. Mm -hmm. And that just causes my heart to be flooded with thanksgiving. Amen. And looking back at uh, the text and specifically the eight reasons you brought out to give thanks, um, I know for me as one of our pastors and as you were preaching this first point, thankful for the importance uh, of local church and speaking to our church and just getting the importance of the local church, I, I just said, you know, yes and amen. Don't just, just thinking about not having to twist people's arms to come to church. Not There's there's just a desire for our people to want to be here, yep. no matter what it is we're doing. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, but kind of walk us through um, the eight eight reasons, and you started off with, the importance of a local church being thankful again i'm just trying to follow the text and so i just uh my heart is in complete league with the apostle paul here when i think about shelbyville mills baptist church when he thought about philippi i thank god that this church understands the importance of the local church and what we have revealed in scripture is a local church there's no this this idea of a universal church may exist in your mind, and certainly that may be a reality that, yes, there is a universal church, but that's not what's revealed in the New Testament. Mm. What's revealed in the New Testament is a local church. Uh, it has a name. It's in a town. It's It has a pastor. It has deacons. It, You know, it, it's, it's in a locale. And he starts off by saying to the saints, and there's two words here, in and at, key words, to the saints in Christ, that's our spiritual address. At Philippi, that's our physical address. Yeah. So here were people that were in Christ. They were regenerate. They'd been born again. They'd been saved. But they were at Philippi. They were God's tangible representation of grace and mercy in a town called Philippi. They assembled together there under the leadership of elders and deacons, as the text says, and they worshiped the Lord. They were involved in the Great Commission. They were undergirding missions with their giving by supporting the Apostle Paul. They were going into all the world, preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were involved in the Great Commission, the great mission endeavor of the church. But they understood that that's the responsibility of the local church. Mm. And so I'm just so thankful that Shelbyville Mills gets the centrality and the importance of the local church. They don't allow, quote, parachurchy organizations to compete with our time and our resources, even though there may be, quote, some good parachurch organizations out there. Uh, Like Mary and not like Martha, we've chosen the best part that will not be taken away from us, and that is the local church. And and supporting the work of the Great Commission, 
the way Christ ordained it to be. And I'll just tell you where I'm at, brother, and I'm going to preach at the, at the True Church Conference this year. Um, brother may take issue with me, but I've just been at it too long, and I've got limited resources. I've got limited time. I've got limited people uh, resources. And so if the end result of a mission endeavor is not a healthy local church in a town with a biblically qualified pastor, I'm out. Hmm. I, I, I'm, I'm going to be spending my resources and time in seeing us raise up healthy pastors to oversee healthy churches to repeat, 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 repeat. Yeah. And so I'm thankful to God when I think about Shelbyville Mills that this would be one of the foundational things that is in force here at our church is that we truly do get to some degree the doctrine of a local church. Mm-hmm. And undergirding that, um, and one of my favorite things about our church um, is the humility mm. uh, of our people. And it's always growing, like you said uh, in your introduction. It, it's We're not perfect. We right. haven't r- arrived. I've got so much room to grow in uh, humility. I, I think that's why God sovereignly chose to <clears throat> sprain Brother Tyler's ankle just to <laughs> humble him uh, with uh, he we, needs it. He does. Yeah, he does. <laughs> and, and he's too busy coloring, so he's he's not right. chiming in on. Well, brother, that's what those youth guys do. You give them some glue and scissors and a, and a ruler, and son, they're happy. Just leave them alone. And no microphone. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there's just this constant striving yeah. for our people just to be humble. And you know, we had a fellowship meal uh, last night to celebrate thanksgiving just as a church body and you know we've got deacon serving we've got youth serving we've got you know parents staying after late and helping put up chairs and clean up the kitchen and um just this collective group of no one's too big to do any task and you know i think that comes out of exactly what you uh, taught us from the text and your second point is you know and we're still working again but we're all slaves right it's unfortunate that uh, in most English translations, doulos has been watered mm-hmm. down. Paul and Timotheus, the doulos, the servants of Jesus Christ. Holman Christian Standard got this right. Uh, Paul and Timothy, slaves of Jesus Christ. A slave is an owned man. He, he has no rights, brother. His will is completely caught up in, uh, engulfed in his master. And... That's the term Paul uses most to describe himself. He used it when he addressed several of the churches in the New Testament. Uh, he starts out by saying, Paul, the basically the, the bond slave of Jesus Christ. And an entitlement mindset is pride. Mm. We, again, we think someone owes us something. We think we deserve something. Brother, we deserve nothing. Anything we get above hell is a bonus. And and so when I think about Shelbyville Mills, and of course, like you said, there's always room to grow, but there really is a servant heart here, and we do recognize that we're slaves. And I think that needs to flow from the top down. Mm-hmm. I commended you and Tyler this morning. I've seen you guys in aprons, you know, back there with your sleeves rolled up, uh, serving meals, handing out meals, uh, cleaning up. 
um, last night, and it wasn't anything we we sit down. Okay, now guys, let's do this, this, and this. Mm-hmm. It just grows out of the fact that we love our people. And last night, I think we were the first people here. We were the last people that left, um, fellowshipping with our people, going to their tables, sitting down, interacting. What's going on in your life? You know, what are you facing right now? Just you know that. Another word for that would be love. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and that came out pretty prominently yesterday as well. I'm thankful for that, brother. Mm-hmm. I, I'm thankful that we don't have big eyes and little U's in our church. We're just all slaves. And um, really, we pastors are the chief of slaves, and we ought to be the chief. Jesus said, in my kingdom, if you want to be great, you have to be the servant of all. Mm. And so when I think about our church, as Paul thought about Philippi, that brings great joy to my heart. It, it stimulates thankfulness. Mm-hmm. And it, as you've taught us it church doesn't rise above its leadership right uh ever the humility of the church doesn't get any lower than than its leadership and that is true we studied this morning you and tyler me we're going through spiritual leadership Mm -hmm. by oswald sanders and we did chapter three today and it was on servanthood and ministry and he was talking about the, the word he used was a little bit odd but modesty in leadership was the word he used and he was talking about how, as a pastor, you shouldn't be, you know, brassy, arrogant, you know, the loudest voice always in the room. You've got to have all the attention, you know, almost narcissistic. Mm-hmm. You know, the focus has got to be me, 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 me. And, uh, man, that's just a turn off. I, I got to be honest with you. It would be extremely difficult for me to follow a guy like that. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're saying you're following Jesus Christ, who was brutally slain on a cross— would that not say to you, you need to be humble? Mm. Um, you don't need to get out in front of Jesus and think yourself higher than he. Mm. You know, you need to strap the cross on, brother, and realize you're a servant and a slave of Jesus Christ. Yeah. And you don't rise above your master. No, sir, ever. Yeah, That's right. Amen. Looking at Shelbyville Mills and through this Philippians text, uh, you mentioned thankful that we as a church strive to pattern ourselves after the New Testament, you specifically pointed out overseers and deacons. That's because that's what Paul points out. He's Paul and Timothy, servants, you know. He writes to the church at Philippi, in Christ at Philippi, and then he says, with the bishops and deacons. Mm. And, of course, he's already written about, you know, the qualifications of deacons and elders in First Timothy 3 and Titus chapter 1. So, obviously... They have to be biblically qualified men. But here again is this idea of the local church. It's in a city. It's in a town. It's overseen by elders, and it's served by deacons. And that that's the model we follow here. Why do you have to get complicated? Mm-hmm. God has given us the model. You can't improve upon perfection. The Word of God is perfect. Yeah. And so that's the model we try to follow, and our church has graciously followed that. We, I could say we have high standards, but that would, we just have biblical standards. Mm-hmm. We have biblical standards for elders. We have biblical standards written in the Word of God for deacons, and we don't fudge on that yeah. to spare feelings or to keep someone from getting their feelings hurt or whatever. We truly do stick to that a man must meet these qualifications and not meet them, but, listen, maintain them. Mm-hmm. It's not that just initially at the outset you were qualified, but now 15, 20 years down the road, are you still qualified? Mm-hmm. So they have to be met and they have to be maintained. 
And when I think about our church, our church has been zealous in that direction the mm-hmm. entire time I've been here. Yeah. I think that's one of the reasons we have unity in our body today. Not to kind of dovetail, but there's almost, you're more qualified 15 years in. You, you should, should be. be. If progressive sanctification is taking place, there should be a, a overqualification after a season of time. But I think that that qualification pattern in yourselves, like you said, God's Word is perfect. It's very simple. And thank God He's made it simple. There's not this code we have to crack. But the fruit of that, and you brought it out next, it, just that the evidence, the tangible evidence uh, of the fruit of patterning yourselves after the New Testament. Paul says it there in verse 2, grace and peace. It ought to crown everything we do. Brother, if we have peace of God, if we have peace with God, we ought to have peace with one another. Mm. If we have, David Miller says, if we, if we preach the doctrines of grace, we ought to practice some of it. Mm. And so if we've experienced the grace of God through Jesus Christ and salvation, shouldn't grace crown everything that we do? We're not to be abrasive all the time and sandpaper and harsh and hard. And, you know, back to what you said, progressive sanctification, we not only grow upward in Christ's likeness, brother, we grow downward in humility. The further we walk with Jesus, the more humble, not the more (laughs) cocky, the more humble we ought to be. And brother, when I see that, it just it just causes my heart to leap with thanksgiving. Nothing. The older I get, nothing repels me more than a prideful strutter. Hmm. Um, and at the same time, nothing is more beautiful to me than a humble servant of God. Yep. And brother, I say this with great thankfulness in my heart. Last night, I went literally from table to table to table around that whole room. I spent as much time as humanly possible with as many people as I possibly could. Every single one of them was an absolute joy. Every single one of them was an absolute delight. And Brother Jeff uses this term frequently. This is what I experienced last night. I just came away having experienced with all these people a gospel humility. Mm. And Brother, that that just makes me very, very... It's peace and it's grace, Brother. It's a gift from God. It's 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 tangible representation of Jesus Christ among this body. Mm-hmm. That makes my heart leap with thanksgiving. Yeah, and it's why, as you said, you can pray with joy. Well, that's the next one. That's the next one. It, 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 this church brings me great joy. Paul says in verse 4, In every prayer of mine for you all making request with joy. Um, Kara, it, 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 you know, it's back to what I said about thankfulness. It's a, it, it's, I know it's more than a feeling, but it is a feeling. It's, it's an emotion. It's a feeling. It's a state in your heart of happiness. It's an emotion of pleasure. Mm. It's an emotion of joy. And, and brother, when I think about this church, that's what I experience. Mm. Now, I'll have to be honest. In the early years, when I thought about this church, I wanted to tuck and run. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was awful. And it's hard, it's hard to feel that joy in your heart when you're getting shot and cut and my heart goes out to a brother today that that's where he is that's listening you know I my heart's with you brother which is why I constantly say hang on Hmm. hang on don't quit don't throw in the towel invest decades of your life you only have one of these in you in your lifetime give it your all give it your best give it everything you have stay with those dear people and in time the spirit of God 
will change them, and that church will become a joy to shepherd. But if you jump from church to church to church, it's just going to be one joyless experience yeah. after another. Yeah. Honeymoon phase ends and the war, the war begins. Divorce. And, yeah. You just yeah. It's jump awful. into the next honeymoon and then the next war. And yeah. uh, sometimes you've got to stand and fight some battles. You do. To enjoy and peace on the other side. Tomorrow's joy is one in today's war. It just is. You do the hard things, D. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, you do the heavy lifting, the hard things in the first half of your ministry that you might enjoy the latter half. Mm -hmm. And what I find is a lot of guys are not willing to endure the rigors in the first half of their ministry, so they never get to the enjoyment of the latter mm -hmm. half. But I, when I, I can honestly tell you, brother, it's not perfect. But it's a joy to shepherd this church. And when I think about them, it brings great joy to my heart. Mm. That's another thing I'm thankful for. Amen. I know for me personally, uh, just sitting there listening, taking notes, uh, hearing you preach the word, um, you ex just expressing to us how you can pray with joy. It, I, I have the same experience. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I have... Uh, my daughter, she's almost two now, and she's getting to the point to where she can realize when she's at a different place. You know, she loves going to Costco. She yep. loves going to her grandstands, um, and she she'll will, even reach out to old PJ every now and then. <laughs> yeah, and she loves coming to church. We pull in the church parking lot, and she just starts clapping. Oh yeah, um, and that she's loved here. Yep. You know, mom and dad are love loved here as you know pastor and pastor's wife. Um, and so there's there's a happy home. There's just so many things um, are in play here, you know, from starting in the first one with thankful for the importance, but just getting to this point to where you can walk away and pray with joy. My granddad, my, well, I called him Papa Peck, and anybody that knows me knows he was the dearest person in my life. You know, his favorite hymn was Count Your Many Blessings. We ought to sing that. Mm. Uh, count your many blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. Count your blessings, name them one by one. Count your many blessings, see what God has done. And that's what we're doing here today. We're sitting here counting our blessings. And as we've done it, again, my heart is just rising, rising, rising with thanks to God. Mm -hmm. Or you can sit around and think about all the gloom, doom, despair, and how horrible everything mm -hmm. is and be a sourpuss, mm -hmm. you know. I, I just would say to my brothers and sisters listening, man, choose thanks. It, it, it's in everything, give thanks, yeah. for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Amen. Even the tough seasons. Uh, especially the tough seasons. Yeah. 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 And our, our next two, I, I think, just go hand in hand. Um, and you've gotten to the point, especially through the early years, where now it's a joy to pray for the church, and every time you do pray, there's just great joy uh, because the church has stood for the truth. The church has embraced God's absolute sovereignty in all things, but especially in salvation. Um, I, you know, from our text, uh, those things are leaping off the page. Um, but just talk to us a little bit about those two going hand in hand and those are six and seven and they go together and 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 when paul thought about the church at philippi he his heart just rejoiced because he says you have been in fellowship with me in the gospel that word koinonia is i mean it's joint locked together mm -hmm. and he says from the first day until now 
And he says, you have been involved in the defense of the gospel, apologia, apologetic, and the confirmation of the gospel. In other words, this church was defending the, they were contending for the faith once delivered to the saints, and then they were confirming it by the way they lived their lives. Their lives were, as Paul said, a living epistle. And people could look at the lives of the members of this church and say, those groups of people, that church over there, they really do believe what they say they believe. Mm-hmm. And man, how we need to see that today. Mm-hmm. And, that, and, and, and again, not perfectly, but, but our, 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 our congregation, is, it is for the glory of God, it's different. Mm-hmm. Our, our people really do. And you know, after 25 years, the, the word gets out and pretty much people now know if you go to Shelbyville Mills, they're pretty serious over there about truth, you know, and and there's a standard, and it's a lovingly applied, I hope, but at the same time, they take truth very, very serious. Mm-hmm. And then he says on the sovereignty of God, he said, I'm confident of this very thing. He who began a good work in you will perform it under the day of Christ Jesus. Well, that's the sovereignty of God. Wrapped up in that one verse is divine initiative. He began a good work in you. Um it's also preservation and perseverance. He will perform it. It's also our future glorification until the day of Christ Jesus. This is the sovereignty of God. It's wrapped up in the doctrines of foreknowledge mm-hmm. and predestination and election, all of which I used those terms yesterday, and I always have. But used to, I used it thinking I was going to get fired. Now I preach those words, and it's like, Yes, and amen. <laughs> amen. This is who we are, and and it's who we be, it's what we believe. And John MacArthur said, and you know we discussed that this amongst ourselves yesterday. If you believe Romans eight twenty eight, God causes all things to work together for good to them that love God, who are the called ones according to His purpose. If you truly believe that, then whatever comes into your life, deem it good or bad you can receive it with thanksgiving because you know it's the will of God. Mm. And that's dovetailed with the sovereignty of God. God began this work in us. He's going to perform it all the way up to us seeing Jesus Christ face to face. What a comfort, brother. And it just brings great joy to my heart that when our people face a death or a cancer or a tragedy or, you know, some massive disappointment, there's a knot in their rope. Mm-hmm. There, there's The anchor holds and... It's called the sovereignty of God. It's the pillow upon which we lay our heads. It is the backbone and the anchor of our church that everything we do is is rooted in the providence of God mm-hmm. and the governorship, the overseership, the ruler of our church is the Lord Jesus Christ. It's his church purchased with his blood. And we truly do believe that our God is sovereign over all things. Amen. And let me say, especially salvation. Yeah especially salvation. God doesn't leave the number one thing on his heart to chance. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, salvation is of the Lord, Jonah 2, 9. And so it just, I've preached the doctrines of grace here, all of the doctrines of grace unapologetically, and they have been, as much as you can with a human brain, they've been lovingly embraced and accepted. And that brings great thanksgiving to my heart today. Mm-hmm. Well, you talk about truths to stand on, the number one, and I'm with you 100%, at, at God's heart is salvation. Yes. And if we're going to be unified in anything, we have to be unified Absolutely. on that. And and when we are, what you closed your sermon in 
is what happens. Yes. If there's unity in salvation and then God's complete sovereignty over everything, the love you can have for one another uh, in the body, it knows no bounds. Yep. The greatest of these is love, man. I'm telling you uh, three words. I told you all again this morning, love never fails. Mm. And I want love to be the chief characteristic of our church. Um, God so loved the world. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. Uh, the love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit that is given to us, Romans 5 says. And, you know, you by your love shall all men know that you're my disciples. Mm. And so love ought to be the chief characteristic. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love. love. That's the first on the yep. list. What is the greatest commandment, Jesus? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. If I'm if I'm doing my job right, you, you just sweep. Look, sweep your systematic theology away. Sweep all your doctrinal knowledge away. Sweep it all away. If you want to know what kind of job you're doing in your church, is the love of Jesus Christ being genuinely, mm -hmm. healthily, heartily manifested in your church? That's the question yeah. right there. And and um, Man, I've never been loved like I've been loved here, and I'm so thankful for that. Yesterday, I'd been on vacation, like you said. I came in, walked in yesterday morning to my office. I'm unpacking everything, and there's a note on my desk, and it's written in, you know, uh, big block letters like younger people do, Brother Jono. And I opened it up, and it was our middle school girls' small group class. And every one of them had something. By the way, I know every one of them by name. I know their moms and dads' names. I know where they live. I know a lot about them. And every one of them had something individual to say to me. They each had their own little, and they were all appreciative. We were so thankful you're our pastor. But here's one thing they all said, every one of them. And I'll keep this card for the rest of my life, you know. It's just a treasure. They said, we love you. Hmm. We love you. Um, last night, uh, Colt's brother, uh, Chris, that he brought their daughter up to me. She just kind of shy and standing off. And all of a sudden, she ran over and grabbed my leg. And um, he looked at me and said, man, she never does that, ever. <laughs> and she told her pastor she loved him. Mm. You know, and, and uh, last night, the key phrase that I heard among our people was, I love you. I heard them talking to each other. I love you, brothers. I love you. It's good to see you, sister. And that's not fake. It's not phony. No. It's only the Holy Spirit can do that. Mm -hmm. But when I think about our church, brother, it, it this this Thanksgiving weekend here and all throughout the year, it causes my heart to erupt with Thanksgiving. There's no, there's no greater compliment. There's no greater gift that God could give me than for brothers and sisters to love each other and dwell together in unity. And uh, that's why Paul said we should endeavor to keep that kind of unity in the bond of in the in the bond of peace, and that's what we're striving to do. And and so it's just a it's just a joy. Paul said this in the closing verses: "It's right for me to think of you this way, because I have you in my heart. I also have you in my bonds and." the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. You're all partakers of my grace. And listen to this. He said, for God is my record, how greatly I long after you in the bowels of Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Listen to those words. Um, I love you in my heart. I long for you in the bowels of Christ. Fellowship of the gospel. 
Um, that these people were in Paul's heart. He loved them. You know, testimonial here, when I was a younger preacher and I had a lot of head knowledge but not a lot of experience and I was getting shot at, slapped around, kicked, I struggled with love. I just, I would feel guilty sometimes because I would go home and I knew the Bible says I was supposed to love these people. But man, it just, it just wasn't there. And I really struggled. And you may be struggling today, and here's what I'd say. Attitude follows action. You just keep confessing your love for them, and you mm-hmm. just keep telling God you want to love them, and you just keep crying out to God, God, give me love for these people. And if you'll stay and you'll endure the rigors, then God will shed abroad his love in your heart by the Holy Spirit, Romans 5, mm. and there will be a genuine love there of which just flows effortlessly. And it's a joy it's a rewarding season. I thank God for it. And uh, it's the most precious thing to me in my life, the love we experience every time yeah. we come here. Amen. And it's evident <laughs> when visiting pastors come in, uh, it just all, and it doesn't matter who it is, it, if it's Allie McLaughlin mm-hmm. over in Scotland or even Dr. Seal mentioned it when he was here, just uh, the love not that we just show for one another, but yep. show to pastors coming in or guests coming in. You talk to people that visit with us for a season, and they just, that's always one of the first things they bring out. Tyler is sitting here, and I don't think she'd mind. I won't mention by name, but I, t- I told Tyler his mother came up to me yesterday after the service, and she's been a member here for years now. And she said, when I first started coming, she said, I'd been coming for a few weeks, and she said, I was talking to you after church one Sunday, and this was, I don't know, what, 15 years ago plus or more than 20 years ago. Uh, she said, as I was walking away, you said, Susie. And I turned around, and you said, I love you. And she said, it just was a little bit like, I didn't know what to think about that. And she said, I didn't understand it. She said, but now I do. She said, I know you've been with me and my family through hard times, awful times, good times, and terrible times. And you've shown me and my family that you do love us. And she said, brother, I love you. Well, hallelujah. Mm. Praise God, brother. If I understand pastoring and shepherding, man, the shepherd gives his life for the sheep. How can you shepherd people? Now, I know those early years you struggle a little bit, but mm-hmm. how, how do you shepherd people long-term and not love them, yeah. not have a genuine love in your heart for them? And so that just floods my heart with thanks to hear those kinds of testimonials mm-hmm. and and more than that, to experience it on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. In closing, um, what would you say, and there's been a little bit of mention of it, but to... Uh, the pastor who's listening maybe goes back and listens to your sermon um, and just says, I'm, I'm not here with my church. I'm yep. not, I haven't experienced these things. I can't give thanks like you give thanks, Brother John O. What would you uh, say to them? Again, Warren Wearsby coined this, attitude follows action. You know, if, you, if you're involved in the right action long term, your attitude's going to catch up. Your emotions and your feelings are going to catch up with the right obedience in time. And I would liken it to your marriage. Hmm. When you first got married, you had a love for your wife. But as you walk with her and know her and 
experience life together, that love deepens and it matures and it grows. Thank God you didn't throw in the towel the mm-hmm. first two years of your marriage. Don't with your church either. Keep walking with them. And what will happen is instead of me versus y'all, it'll become us. And I was just thinking last night, when I hear a family in our church is going through a difficulty, it's like I'm going through it. When I hear of a church, Cole West was here yesterday, and he's just finished his first semester at Oklahoma Baptist University and had a good first semester. He's on the football team there. I was talking to Bobby and Marla last night, and they were just rejoicing at the goodness of God in his first semester. It was as if it was my own child. Mm-hmm. I was just rejo- I was just all in rejoicing with them. You hurt when they hurt. You fly high when they fly high. You fly low when they fly low. And and through it all, it's imparted by the Spirit, brother, mm-hmm. that as you like sanctification, because this is sanctification, yeah. as you persevere, as you press on toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus, your feelings and emotions and your gratitudes and your thankfulness and your love catches up. And yeah. and uh, so my, my encouragement to the brother would be never quit, yeah. never throw in the towel, never give up, press on, and in time it will become joyful. But you've got to live for a day you can't see right now. Mm-hmm. You've got to believe by faith that it's going to come even when you're in a dark tunnel. And if you'll be faithful, the, the day star will dawn and you'll see a new light at the end of that tunnel, and it's going to be enjoyable. But like Martin Lloyd-Jones says, endure the rigors of the first half that you might enjoy the latter half. Mm-hmm. You know, Amen. Amen. Well, we're thankful uh, to be back on the podcast uh, this week. Um, just encourage you to go and uh, listen to Brother Jono's sermon from this past Sunday on eight reasons to be thankful uh, for the local church and Um, It was a blessing to us. I know it will be a blessing to you. Uh, We pray and hope you have a great uh, week of Thanksgiving with your family um, and that God will use this time to, to grow you in His grace and in His truth. Thank you for listening to The Faithful Expositor. For more information on Brother Jono's ministry, go to our church website, smbconline.com, and follow him on Twitter at Jono Sims.